Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. 
Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alexandra. Good, we'll do keep uh, Acts chapter 9 open before you. And I'm going to pray for us before we look at God's word together. Father in heaven, thank you for this section of your word that is before us. As we look at it, please help us to understand the significance of these events, not just for Saul himself, but for the future life of the church. Please help us to engage our minds and please challenge our hearts, Lord. Help us not just to think, but help us to learn to love you and love other people in response to what we read this evening. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder what the most significant moment of your life has been so far. The Apostle Paul, or Saul as he was known here in Acts chapter 9, had written a biography of his life, then without doubt he would have highlighted these events in Acts chapter 9. The day that he met Jesus was the day that his life was transformed forever. When we began our series uh, in the book of Acts back in September in our morning meetings, we called it Mission Unstoppable. Because you see, when we think about the spread of the gospel, when we consider the good news of Jesus going out across our nation and indeed this world and changing people's lives, then the reality is nothing can stop it. And that has been the testimony of Acts so far in the first eight chapters. You see, failed leadership, however detrimental to the life of the church and the advance of the gospel, ultimately cannot stop people hearing about Jesus. Inward division within the church itself, squabbling, backbiting, gossip, disagreement about doctrine, however harmful and sad, cannot ultimately prevent the good news of Jesus going out. An outward opposition, as we read here, before Saul was converted, however frightening for the life of the believer, cannot ultimately prevent the good news of Jesus going out in this world. 
the good news of the gospel will go from Jerusalem to the very ends of this earth. Have a look at Acts 1 verse 8, the great summary verse of the book of Acts. This is Jesus speaking to his 11 apostles, the 12 minus Judas, shortly before his ascension. And this is what he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, this is a a key verse for us for two reasons. Firstly, it tells us what the whole of the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is the historical record of the initial movement of the gospel going out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But what this verse also does is give us our shape or our structure to the book of Acts. If you were with us in the mornings, you might be familiar with this diagram coming up on the screen, which we called ever-increasing circles. It's the ripples of the gospel going out from Jerusalem. You see, Acts chapter 1 to 7 is all about the activity of the gospel in Jerusalem itself. Acts chapter 8 to 12 is the movement of the gospel out of Jerusalem to the suburbs of Judea and the surrounding area of Samaria. Then Acts chapter 13 to the end is the gospel breaking the boundaries of historical Israel and going to the Gentiles, ending up in Rome at the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28, the capital of the then modern world, and by implication from there to the very ends of the earth. And you see, Acts chapter 9 that is before us this evening is absolutely pivotal to that third stage of the movement of the gospel out. Look what we read in Acts 9 verse 15. This is Jesus speaking about the man Saul. Look at what he says. This man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. You see, what we read here in Acts chapter 9 wasn't just a hugely significant moment for Saul himself as an individual, but for the future of the church. Because as we learn here, Saul was God's man. The man that God chose, the man that God set apart to take the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And you know what? If you are a Christian here this evening... Almost certainly you can trace it back to what we read here in Acts chapter 9. Because after Saul was converted, years later, he took the good news of Jesus to Europe. And he told someone about Jesus. Who told someone about Jesus. Who told someone about Jesus. Who told someone about Jesus. And the gospel found me and you 2,000 years later. This is a hugely significant chapter. Not just for Saul as an individual, but for the the health and the life of the church. But of course, Acts isn't the end of the story, is it? Because there is another rim to put on our ever-increasing circles. There is still work to be done. There are still parts of this world that are unreached by the gospel. Indeed, parts of our own communities where there are people who don't know Jesus. Hence, the importance of the book of Acts for us today as we seek, with God's help, to play our small part in seeing the gospel continue to go into people's lives. 
There's three sections, three scenes for us this evening as we look, as we enjoy watching the conversion of God's man, Saul. And the first scene is this, Paul before he met Jesus. Have a look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. It's not the first time we've met Saul in the book of Acts. We were introduced to him back in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, when he was standing there smugly at the killing of Stephen. He didn't get his hands dirty. He didn't actually throw a stone, but he was entirely complicit in the murder of Stephen. And as we go on to read in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, just a few verses later, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That word destroy that you see there on the line speaks of a wild animal mauling a body. The picture is of a, of a, of a raging lion ripping its prey apart limb by limb. And this is the word that the author of Acts, Luke, chose to use to describe Paul, Saul's activity when it came to the Christian church. He wanted to rip apart the Christian church. He wanted to tear it apart limb from limb. He wanted to squash and silence the gospel right there. Here is a man we meet in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 who had a passionate hatred for the gospel. And he was on a mission to destroy it before it spread any further. And in Acts chapter 9 verse 2, he gets the green light from the Jewish authorities. And with the relevant papers in hand, he makes his journey from Jerusalem to Damascus in an attempt to silence the gospel there. You see, here is a man whose heart was incredibly hard to the gospel. Incredibly hard. A man who hated all things Jesus. And as he later writes in a letter to his good friend Timothy, this is how he describes himself. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, says Paul. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for all those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The Lord's immense patience to the chief persecutor of the church is an example for those who would believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. You see, here's our first lesson this evening. Conversion is possible. Even for the worst of sinners, even for the hardest of hearts, conversion is possible. And I hope that encourages you this evening as you're sat there. Because I imagine if you're anything like me, there are moments in life when you are truly discouraged as a Christian. 
when you seem to have been witnessing and praying for people for years and you meet nothing but resistance and your heart sinks, right? Deep discouragement. Maybe their hearts aren't the same as Saul's in the sense that that manifests itself in, in an outward opposition. They're not out there actively to destroy the church as Saul was, but there's an apathy in the heart. They just don't, they're just not bothered. It's okay for you, but it's not for me. If that is you this evening, I remember chatting to Jean and Gerald a few weeks before Christmas about your children and the prayers over years that have gone in and the constant witness and Still, it seems to be met with resistance. If you're in that place this evening, could I encourage you? Because in Acts chapter 9, we meet a God who is in the business of changing hearts. And if he can transform the worst of sinners, the chief persecutor of the church, then he can certainly transform the hearts of our loved ones. You see, conversion is possible. Because this is mission unstoppable. So be encouraged. And then we move to our second scene. Paul, before he met Jesus. Then in verse 3, Paul, when he met Jesus. Have a look down in your Bibles again at verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, Why do you persecute me? A flash of light, a voice from heaven, and a personal call to the worst of sinners. And instinctively Saul replies, doesn't he? Who are you, Lord? And the words that follow, the words that Saul hears next, change everything for him forever. Jesus speaks, and he says... I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You see, a well-trained Jewish scholar like Saul was, who knew his scriptures well, actually wouldn't have been too surprised with the flash of light and the audible voice from heaven. God called a number of Old Testament saints, instruments he used in similar ways. But what really would have shaken Paul, Saul, to the very core of his being was the personal call from a risen Jesus. That changed everything. Because you know what? In that moment there, on the road to Damascus, Saul knew. He knew that he'd been wrong about Jesus. He'd been wrong. He spent his energy and his life trying to squeeze the gospel and destroy the church. Yet in that one moment... His whole life was turned upside down because he knew he'd been wrong about Jesus. He knew it. Jesus wasn't just a prophet, not a false prophet, not just a moral teacher who unfortunately died in his mid-thirties. That's a shame he died early in life. But on the road to Damascus, he learned that Jesus is the risen king of all history. And you know what? In that moment... Saul saw his sin for the first time. And what a terrible sight it was. You see, what Saul experienced wasn't an epileptic fit or a case of serious sunstroke as some liberal scholars have tried to maintain. This is what happens when a sinner meets the glory 
of the risen Jesus, humbled and driven to your knees. And you know what? Jesus could have left him there on the floor under judgment, but he doesn't. Because in that same wonderful moment, Saul isn't only confronted with his sin, but he is confronted with a wonderful saviour. Jesus speaks again in verse 6, words really of infinite grace. And this time, Saul listens. And he's picked up off the floor by his friends, and he is led as a blind man into Damascus. What a truly humbling experience this must have been. For the power and the pomp of Saul. As John Stott says in his commentary, he who expected to enter Damascus in the fullness of his pride and power as a self-confident opponent of the gospel was actually led into it. Humbled and blinded as a captive of the very Christ he opposed. It's a wonderful change, isn't it? In Saul. And the question for us as we stand back and witness this conversion experience on the road to Damascus, it's a question a lot of people ask and maybe you're asking, is this typical? Is this a typical conversion experience? Should we expect to see things like this today? And the answer to that question is both no and yes. Because if you read on in the book of Acts, as you read of all the other many conversions, there's no record of a flash of light from heaven or an audible voice. It's certainly not the norm. The norm is, as we've heard from Francis this evening, that a friend or a sister speaks gently to you about Jesus and the Spirit of God does a work in your heart and convinces you that Jesus is who he says he is and you trust him. You trust him with your life. That's the norm of Christian conversion experience. Not to rule out the other, but that's the normative experience. But there is something ever so typical in what we see here in Saul. Because you see, every true conversion is still based on a personal encounter, a personal meeting with Jesus. A recognition that Jesus is no longer dead, but alive. And you see, this brings us to our second lesson of this evening conversion isn't just possible it's personal conversion is personal you're not converted by conforming to the ways of the church or by following a certain moral or written code or by being baptized or by taking communion these things do not lead to your conversion conversion comes through a personal encounter with christ through meeting the real jesus through acknowledging your sin and through accepting him as your own personal saviour. And so I must ask you this evening, have you done that? Have you met the real Jesus? Have you acknowledged your sin? And have you accepted him as your saviour? Because the most significant moment, thing, that can ever happen to you in life is to meet Jesus and be changed by Jesus. It is a chapter in your biography that everybody should have. Meeting the real Jesus. And you see, on the road to Damascus, the most significant moment for Saul was meeting Jesus. But he did also meet someone else when he got to Damascus. He met a guy, as we read, called Ananias. 
who played an instrumental part, not in Saul's conversion, but in his commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Have a look at verse 10 and 11. They're now in Damascus. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Understandably, Ananias is pretty baffled. Look at his response. Look in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. You see, Paul's reputation has gone before him. It's reached Damascus, over 150 miles from Jerusalem. But Ananias knows all about this man, Saul. Everything that he's been doing to the church. And you know what? He knows why he's made the trip to Damascus as well, verse 14. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But you know what? When God calls somebody to do something he doesn't make mistakes God doesn't make mistakes and so he calls again in verse 15 to Ananias go go this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel despite his initial concerns Ananias trusts and obeys, he gets out his A to Z, he finds Straight Street, and he locates the house of Judas, and so he's there. And then he meets Saul. He's in the house with Saul. And here we see the realization of two great transformations that have happened in the life of Saul. Firstly, we see one who was an enemy of the gospel, but is now a brother. Do you see that in verse 17? Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is an individual, as we've seen, who could not have been more on the outside. The worst of sinners, the chief persecutor of the church, he wanted to maul the Christian people. Yet after meeting Jesus, an outsider is now on the insider. To the point that Ananias can put his arm around him and say, Brother Saul. Can you imagine the warmth of those words for Saul? He's met Jesus. His life's been radically transformed. But I guess he's thinking, what now? What happens when I walk into church next Sunday? These are friends of people that I've set my life on killing. How is the church going to respond? How are people going to respond when someone like me is converted? What happens? Brother Saul. What wonderful warmth, aren't they, those words? Words of inclusion, words of acceptance, words that we all love to hear. You see, when you meet the real Jesus, when your life is converted, primarily you get a new father in heaven. That is, that is the greatest joy. But you're also given a new family here on earth to which you now belong. 
And it's why we can genuinely, whatever our backgrounds, whatever we've done in the past to each other, we can look each other in the eye, put an arm around each other and say, brother and sister. Because we belong to the same family that has been redeemed by the same saviour. Saul was an enemy and he becomes a brother. But there's a second transformation. Because one who was spiritually blind can now see. Do you see that in verse 18? Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Not for the first time in God's word, we see physical blindness as a metaphor for spiritual blindness. You see, one of the ways that the Bible helps understand what life is like without Jesus is to say you're in the dark. Without Jesus, people are in the dark like a blind man being led, stumbling around through life, trying to, trying to make sense, trying to fit things together, trying to get answers to questions. Why am I here? Why do I exist, Francis? Where am I going in life? All those questions that get asked. And without Christ, people will continue to stumble around grasping for something that will never fulfill, never satisfy, or never answer any of those questions. But when people meet Jesus, the scales fall from people's eyes. The light shines in the human heart. And life all of a sudden makes sense. Because Jesus is in his rightful position. And when that happens, do you see what Paul does? Verse 18, end of... His immediate response is to be baptized, which brings us to our third lesson. Conversion is public. Conversion is personal. Don't get me wrong. It's not something I'm not saved through the, the faith of a family member or a friend. It's personal. It's a personal commitment in the heart between you and trusting on what God has done. Conversion is personal, but it will always express itself publicly in life. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. When people get saved, they just get baptized straight away. Why? Because baptism is the public expression of faith in Jesus. All that Jesus has done. We've seen it this morning for those who were there. A wonderful moment when Tom Finley goes under. A symbol that his old life is gone. It's gone to the grave. And he rises up washed clean. To live a new life for Jesus, saying, my life is transformed, radically different. I'm all for Jesus now. You see, there is no such thing as a private faith. I've heard that little phrase banded around before. It's just wrong. There's no biblical warrant for a private faith. It's a personal faith, yes, but that will express itself publicly. Of course, some people are extroverts, some are introverts. But our faith in Christ will be expressed in our allegiance to him in the way that we live and love and the way that we speak. And you see, that's seen even more clearly in our final section. I think I'm missing a slide. Paul, after he met Jesus. Have a look at verse 20. Here's Paul now, the transformed man. In verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem 
among those who call on this name. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul, before he met Jesus, the worst of sinners. Paul, when he met Jesus, was totally transformed by his encounter with Christ. And Paul, after he met Jesus, a radically transformed life. How do we know Saul's conversion was genuine? How do we know anyone's conversion is genuine? It's not the blinding light. It's not the audible voice from heaven. It's not the experience on the road to Damascus. It is the transformed life. Probably the greatest evidence or indication of a real, genuine faith in Jesus is a desire to live out that faith and to share that faith with others. And that's exactly what we see in these following verses. You see the Saul or the Paul who arrived back in Jerusalem in verse 28 was a totally different man to the one who had left three years earlier. He left speaking boldly of his desire to crush the name of Jesus. And he returned three years later speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. He left with a mission to imprison and to kill and to maul all those who stood in allegiance with Jesus. And he returned standing shoulder to shoulder with them, willing to die for that Jesus. As you see in verse 29, back in Jerusalem, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic, that's the Greek Jews, but they tried to kill him. What a remarkable turnaround this is. You see, if you are familiar with this story, we pass over this turnaround. The hunter has become the hunted. The chief persecutor of the church has become Jerusalem's most wanted. You see, conversion isn't just a past experience and it's left somewhere in the past without any reaction in the here and now, without any impact in the here and now. You see, conversion is a past experience, but a past experience that manifests itself in a present commitment to following Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever the cost. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of Saul. And so I ask you the question this evening, does your life reflect that? Has your life been so turned around by what Jesus has done that you are willing to sacrifice, lay down all things for the sake of the gospel? To hold loosely, to be willing to give up finances, comforts, personal security, time, energy, even your life, as many do in other countries across the world right now, Because you are willing to stand in allegiance to Jesus. Because you know what? It is all worth it. Following Jesus really is worth it. There is no more significant moment in life than meeting Jesus and being changed by him. Which brings us to our fourth and final lesson. Conversion is precious. It is ever so precious. Conversion is possible, even for the worst of sinners. 
So be encouraged this evening in your continued witness to the world. Conversion is personal. It's not about conformity to a way of life. It's about a meeting with the real risen Jesus. And conversion is public. It expresses itself in real life, in real time, in our real worlds in which we are living. And conversion is precious because it changes absolutely everything. Not just life now, but it changes eternity. I'm going to close by reading a few words that Paul wrote about 30 years after what we've read tonight in Acts chapter 9 when he writes back to the church in Philippi and tries to express in words, almost impossible to do, how precious a relationship with Jesus really is. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Let me read them slowly to you as we finish. What is more... I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith why don't you just take a minute now in light of stepping back and looking at what happened in Acts chapter 9 what has been the most significant moment of your life and what is most precious to you in life now well a lot of things change when you meet Jesus but one thing that we want to do is thank him and praise him for everything that he's done in our lives. So we're going to do that now as we stand to sing our final hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Saviour's love? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. And I'm going to pray for us as we finish, as we go into the week ahead. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your powerful grace. Thank you that you are capable of changing the hardest of hearts. Thank you that you are capable of bringing each and every sinful soul back to yourself. Lord, please encourage us as we look back on what we class as a dramatic conversion in the life of Saul, thank you that if we sit in on Jesus tonight, it has been equally dramatic because our life has been transformed. We were once dead in our sin and we are now alive in Christ. Thank you that you came to meet us. We weren't seeking you. We were walking away from you. But you came to meet us and change our lives forever. And we pray that as we enter this week ahead, that we would enter it with joy and with thankfulness in our hearts, knowing all that you have done, and that we would live our lives, we would live transformed lives in view of all that you have done for us. And we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.